0: Welcome to the Bossed Up podcast, episode 208. I'm your host, Emily Aries, the founder and CEO of Bossed Up. And today's podcast features one of our incredible Bossed Up bootcamp trainers, Lacey Julcope, who's going to be joining me and the Bossed Up trainer team in San Francisco later this month, March 21st and 22nd, for our first Bossed Up bootcamp of the year, focused on management and leadership development. Now, Lacey and I are tackling an interesting angle to work-life balance and leadership today, we're talking about how difficult it can be to embrace the duality between your big ambitions and our innate human need for personal sustainability or work-life balance, whatever you want to call it. She has a ton of experience. In other words, we're talking about how even the most ambitious amongst us, even leaders and managers and aspiring leaders and managers and women on the rise can embrace and, in fact, benefit from work-life balance. And at the end of the day, how all of us can benefit when our bosses have more work-life balance in their life. So to give you a little background, Lacey Jewel Cope is the coaching and development domain lead at Insight Data Science, where she's coached nearly 700 job seekers transitioning to data roles in the tech industry to help them know their value, own their worth, and really thrive once they land their next job. As a certified coach, she takes an integrative and pragmatic approach, connecting people with self-reflective tools and concrete strategies to be more self-aware, powerfully expressed, and confident. Lacey is based in the Bay Area, where she'll be joining me at Bossed Up Bootcamp. Later this month, like I said, on March 21st and 22nd, if you want to learn more and register to join us, you can find everything you need to know at bosteporg bootcamp, including details on our upcoming bootcamps in Denver and DC later this year. Lacey, I'm so excited to dive into this topic with you. Welcome to the Bossed Up Podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Emily. I feel like this has been a long time coming because you have been in the Bossed Up orbit for quite a while now, right? It's been, I think, about four years
1: that I've known about Bossed Up, and then it's been, we're coming up on three years since I did boot camp and really got into the community.
0: Amazing. So give us a little background on what first brought you to Bossed Up Boot Camp and and why we're so, by the way, we're so delighted to have you joining us back as a member of the Bossed Up trainer team to present at our upcoming Bossed Up Boot Camp in San Fran. Yay! How'd you first get there? It was through word of mouth, actually. Uh, So I was
1: living out in D.C. back in 2013, actually, and I crossed paths with uh, this delightful life coach. It was my first exposure to life coaching, Mm -hmm. uh, Jessica Lee Lyons. And she was on the training team. So fast forward and I had left D.C. for the West Coast and then was moving back to D.C. for the third time in 2017. And she was on the training team for the March boot camp. And she invited me. She said, you're going through this big major transition. And I think that this would be really valuable for you. And I had partake, participated in some of her smaller uh, programs that she ran independently, but I'd always heard her speak about how the Boston community was just so powerful and it had catapulted her you know, self-awareness and her confidence as a coach and all of these other wonderful things. So I decided to jump in.
0: I love it. And now with boot camp, sort of evolving, we're retaining a lot of the same magic that has always made Boston Boot Camp amazing. As we also grow with our audience, right? Like this year's boot camp program has an extra focus on management and leadership, and really catapulting women to that next rung in our careers as mid-career professionals um, and even senior, more senior career professionals but what are some of the biggest lessons you derived from boot camp in the past too? Well,
1: first and foremost, I am so excited about the evolution of bootcamp and this new approach and it encompassing leadership, because I really think that that's where I am at in my own career and where I see a lot of my peers at and making sure that we continue to lift as we climb. But thinking back to what it was when I participated in it, the holistic approach mm-hmm. was one of the most maybe surprising things for me. Uh, Maybe I didn't fully understand what I was getting myself into, but the fact that it wasn't just about how to get started in your career and hit the ground running and here's some time management resources, that was a component of it. But the way that the framework around the life planner and around time management being aligned with really getting deeply into what are my goals across the board Mm -hmm. for my whole life, because career and the rest of your life aren't ever really segmented, right? Right. And ideally, hopefully you're bringing your whole self to work. So how are you taking care of yourself when it comes to your finances, to your relationships with other people romantically or otherwise, and all of these other facets of it? That was huge. And one of my favorite exercises that you did to get us into that space was having us do this, uh, like, as opposed to a reflection exercise, like almost a future tripping exercise. Yeah, yeah where we got to acknowledge and speak to as if it was years in the future and we had already accomplished things and just yep. seeing what came up and I will never forget that I was super nervous <laughs> and I went to share what I was going to share thinking like I've got no idea what's going to come out and what came out was so big for me things that I hadn't voiced out loud I was covered in goosebumps and I was like oh I guess there's truth there <laughs>
0: Yeah, it sounds like a lot of what you articulated then has started to manifest, right? And you've made that happen. Tell us a little bit about where you've gone since then, and what's been going on in your world. It really has, and at the time, it felt like there's
1: there's no way, it's impossible. <laughs> I just moved back to D.C. and I'm working. I was working as a fundraiser for the College of William and Mary, and the vision I declared was I was back in the Bay Area. I was living in Oakland, close to the hills. I was dancing a lot, and I was running my own consulting firm, and I had established uh, kind of thought leader expertise or subject matter expertise on women's empowerment and, and career and taking better care of ourselves and all these other beautiful, wonderful things. And fun story, <laughs> surprise, <laughs> surprise. I do live in Oakland uh, in my own apartment, really close to the Oakland Hills. I dance every week. I belly dance. And then I'm in the process right now of launching a Balkan folk dance program to teach more people how to Balkan folk dance, which is one of my passions. I love it. I work as a professional career coach now for a firm in San Francisco. So crazy how life comes full circle.
0: One of the things you mentioned at the outset was that you were moving back and forth coast (laughs) to coast. And I want to explore that a little bit because I know a lot of us have difficulty managing or balancing to use my not so favorite word, but a sort of holding space for the duality between our big ambitions and our need for personal sustainability. And it sounds like, like moving back and forth across the coast, coast to coast must have taken its toll on you psychologically, emotionally, and just from an energy perspective, did it?
1: It absolutely did. And that was also following, I moved overseas twice. <laughs> wow. I went to college in Eastern Europe in Bulgaria. And then I, I worked in Serbia twice in 2012 and 2014. So yes, there have been many big, big moves and they were always driven by career aspiration, always about wanting to take advantage of up-leveling and whatever that next opportunity was that presented itself. And I'm Very grateful that I have had those experiences, but it is the physical, emotional community (laughs) whole of uprooting constantly. It really did start to drain on me. It has drained on me. The feeling like people, the people that I most love, wanting them to still feel like they can depend on me, even though Mm. they don't know where I'm gonna be living in six months, because I have this tendency to leave. (laughs) Um, It did. And so I really had to get clear with myself a couple of years ago about what are the values that I'm prioritizing right now. Mm-hmm. I've had this season of life where I've been prioritizing chasing something. And I actually, I like to say it was career, but in a lot of ways, I wonder if there was there was more at play there and shifting towards like, what is it that I want to cultivate? How do I manage relationships from a distance where I'm not feeling like, Oh, I miss my DC community. So I'm going to move back there to see them. Oh, but now I miss my West coast community. Right. So I did just actually in terms of the, like I mentioned, I live in Oakland now. I signed my very first one year lease all by myself <laughs> in an department of my own in November. That's great. Congrats. <laughs> Thank you. And it's uh, talking about self-care I knew that I wanted that, but I really did not understand how much I needed that. Mm. It's been incredibly eye-opening in the in terms of how I was not actually prioritizing my needs in yeah. multiple areas because now I have the time, the space, and the focus to notice and pay attention.
0: And so what did that experience teach you that our super ambitious listeners can learn from? Like what are some of the key takeaways that you would advise women who are chasing something right now, who, who hear themselves in your story and have been saying, well, I don't really need to take care of myself. Like, I can just keep hustling. I can keep chasing this ambition or this dream. Like, what are the first steps for becoming someone who, who acknowledges, yes, my ambition matters, but so does my personal sustainability? I think that one of the biggest
1: things, first and foremost, is recognizing patterns for ourselves. So for me, in this, the story that I just shared, my pattern was this habitual leaving on the move, on the go constantly and framing it as this is me being ambitious and pursuing my goals, but also hearing from other people this idea that I was inspiring them. Oh, you're so bold. You're so courageous to be willing to make those moves. How are you making those moves? Right. And so I think the inverse of it was there are a lot of people who choose not to leave situations where there's different kinds of patterns at play that are just as much not taking care of them or filling their cup or refueling them in the staying versus the leaving. Yeah. Because a lot of times when I look at the things that I would, I like to frame all of these big transitions as I was going towards something, I was chasing something, but it was also driven by leaving less than great situations, leaving micromanagers behind, leaving work environments that felt like they had become toxic, leaving uh, situations where I didn't feel like my value was being recognized and I was depleted because I was constantly fighting for that. Yeah. Um, and so I think step one is really taking account as truthfully as you possibly can. What's at stake right now? What is, what's playing out for me? What are the patterns that I'm buying into either consciously or subconsciously? And what are the values right now that I'm choosing to prioritize? Mm, That is a good point. I think for me, learning and recognizing and seeing that there is a lot of joy and beauty and boldness and courage in going on big adventures. But if I wasn't counterbalancing that with rooting somehow, somewhere in some capacity that I was constantly just in this very like flighty mode of on, on nonstop. What does rooting look like? I think that rooting can take many different shapes and forms. And, and I was always seeking to create roots even with the moving. So I'm a big nester anywhere that I would land (laughs) for me. It was a lot about the physical spaces that I was in. So even if I was just in a bedroom in a shared house situation, I wanted that bedroom to feel like mine as soon as possible. So I would have some kind of space, but I think that rooting, I've been playing around a lot with the idea of confidence, what does confidence really mean because so much of what we what we achieve across the board in our lives comes from being really confident and self-expressed and for me confidence is it's has to have a like rooted or grounded component to it because it's the difference between genuine self-awareness driving a need that I'm expressing or something I'm communicating or something I'm creating for myself versus the fake it till you make it or bravado confidence, where sometimes that is necessary. But if you do that too much mm-hmm. and you're not connected to what's inside and what's really what you're really desiring, wanting right now, yeah, that disconnect is, is also so exhausting and draining.
0: Yeah. And that can be hard when you're getting all this external validation mm-hmm. rewarding you for doing something that other people think looks great. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. wow, you are traveling all the time. Good for you. You must be killing it, girl. The peanut gallery is very loud, especially in the era of social media. And it doesn't know how aligned you feel internally, right? And I think that's another piece of why it's so important to figure out how to
1: be grounded and rooted in yourself is because then it's not a matter of not caring what the world around you thinks or says, because I do think we're social creatures. Right. are it's, it's necessary to have community. And so I'm definitely not a person to say, just don't care. (laughs) But something that's helped me is to not be attached to it, Mm. to not be getting my validation, my sense of self-worth from those things. I can care, but also balance that with, but what are my needs and how can I hear what you have to say, but not be attached to it or think that I have to do it that way? Because You've been impressed or inspired by it. I can impress and inspire you in lots of different ways.
0: (laughs) Right. And sometimes making the choice that better aligns with your deeper desires, even though it'll win you less points on the internet (laughs) or less likability points is sometimes the most courageous thing you can do, right? Amen. Amen. I hear from what you're saying, it sounds like you've worked really hard to find a role where you can be the coach you want to be and feel validated and supported and inspired. And I want to ask more about this work you're doing, really coaching and providing professional skills development for data scientists, engineers, product managers, folks really in the tech sector. And I almost wonder, because you're speaking on work-life balance at Boston Bootcamp, What has your experience been like in Silicon Valley when it comes to coaching folks on their professional development and supporting them in job placement initiatives, but also managing what the hell work-life balance looks like in the fast-paced world of tech?
1: It's something that I think it's kind of the ugly underbelly of tech in a lot of ways that people don't pause to talk about actively. I will say that a lot of, I am seeing a lot of companies shift to more wellness-based practices that they're providing or giving their opportunities to their their employees to take advantage of. There are a lot of wellness companies looking to serve and cater to that market as well. But the the folks especially that I work with in that job transition. So the majority of, of folks that I that I coach are are currently actively looking for a job. Uh-huh. And there are so many stress points that come with that the insecurity of not knowing what's going to come next, the loss of identity of I've left behind the thing that I've been doing and I don't really know what to call myself right now as I'm hoping to become a data scientist or a data engineer for a tech company, the massive amounts of imposter syndrome that people deal with. So the structure of our program, we run seven-week Curriculums and fellowships for folks that are going, like I said, going into the tech sector Mm -hmm. to do that. And there are seven programs that are run at once in our Silicon Valley office. And it it attracts about 120 to 140 people at a time. So you're surrounded by other brilliant people. Right. And the way that that triggers and prompts so much confusion around what is your actual value add. And so I see people all the time struggling with burnout, facing burnout. And the inclination in those moments is I just have to do more. Right. Right, 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 right. I have to get busy proving myself, right? Exactly. It's, and it's very much, it's just that. It's the proving myself mentality. Mm. And I I wasn't, to be honest, So I've run, this is my eighth session that I'm currently in. I've worked for the company just about two years. And at the beginning, I wasn't really addressing that head on, But then we would get to interviews when folks are actually going out to interview and that's what was there for them was this, this feeling that I just have to impress everybody constantly Mm. and the anxiety, the discomfort, the fear that that would bring into the interview context. I was seeing people fail all the time, not because they didn't know how to do a job, but because they, they were so mired (laughs) in their own negative Mm. experience And so I really felt uh, decided, determined that I needed to take it on on day one. Actually, one of the first things that I talk about with our fellows is psychological safety as just a fundamental principle and imposter syndrome as something that we have to confront right away. Because the commitment that I make to them is if they, if they do the work, if they trust me, if they trust us and go through it is that they will be more confident, self-aware and successful than they've ever been. But I do need them to have that trust and that willingness to do it. And in that, I cannot make a commitment. It's impossible. I'm not here to say, we're going to get rid of your fear. We're going to get rid of your anxiety. But we're going to learn to coexist with it in a way that still takes care of you, which requires you to take care of yourself.
0: Mm, Interesting. Let's talk about psychological safety, because you tossed that word out. And I recently stumbled upon it, I think, in Simon Sinek's work, Leaders Eat Last, building a zone of psychological safety is so important for leaders of all kinds, both for themselves and for their teams. Can you tell me more about what that looks like?
1: I love riffing on the concept of psychological safety. <laughs> Please. It was a term that was actually coined by Amy Edmonton, a professor at Harvard Business School. And she sought out to study and understand and make sense of high-performing medical teams. Medical teams in hospital settings that had the great the best outcomes for their patients, meaning survival rates. And right. she had made an assumption that the highest performing medical teams had the would have the lowest documented incident rates of mistakes or errors. And she was seeking to understand how they were managing to not make mistakes or make errors. And then when she set about actually doing the research, what she discovered, it was the exact opposite. The teams that had the best outcomes actually had the highest incident documented incident rates huh. of mistakes and errors. So then she had to set about figuring out like, why is that? What does that play? And what she found was that being coexisting in communities, teams, spaces where there is safety in acknowledging that you made a mistake or asking for help or saying you don't know something is the like linchpin and most powerful fundamental indicator of whether or not a team is going to achieve their goals. Yes. Wow. And that has actually now been put to test in a lot of different settings, but especially in Silicon Valley, a lot of tech companies, toss around the term. It's interesting to see more or less how effectively they're able to generate psychological safety within their spaces. But I do know that Google actually uh, did a whole bunch of research and found that more so than shared identity, backgrounds, education levels, interests, hobbies, anything else, psychological safety is what made their highest performing team successful.
0: Almost reminds me of the value of psychological safety in interpersonal relationships too the feeling of walking on eggshells around someone you know a family Mm -hmm. member or a loved one or a partner who you feel like you can't fail around or you can't be inadequate around is Um. so awful (laughs) compared to having a partner who you can be like, oh yeah, I totally fucked that one up or I, you know, made that mistake or I'm, you know, I totally got that wrong. I just made that up or whatever it is. Like Brad calls me out for having very strong opinions sometimes that are not always founded in a hundred percent accuracy or I I (laughs) misremember something. And he's like, no way you're making that up. And I'm like, am I? (laughs) And I just feel like being able to create together in teams, like at Bossed Up, there's, there's three of us and we're constantly creating new things. I wonder like how you can go about creating psychological safety, not only on the professional front, but also on the personal front, because without that ability to bring your full imperfect self to work, it's got to be taxing psychologically and contribute to things like burnout, exhaustion, and, and just a lack of, of balance. I feel like I learned so much of
1: my understanding of burnout through you, from you and having the, the framework and the lens of understanding that it's burnout. Doesn't just come from I'm tired, I'm overworked, uh, which are the go-to mechanisms or things that we tend to blame for that burnout. But it really, it has so much to do with how we're taking care of ourselves at home, what we're how what we're creating in our lives, And I do fundamentally think that if we are limited in our self-expression anywhere in life, then it's affecting us everywhere. And so, yes, if you, certainly, if the quality of the relationships that you're maintaining outside of the office have you feeling stifled or stymied or silenced or quieted, right. As somebody who myself, I have been in, abusive relationships. And I had a pattern of that in my, especially in my early twenties, understanding and kind of reckoning with what allowed for that. How did I allow for that? And I am in by no means putting blame on victims, but I did want to understand for myself, what am, how am I attracted to and drawn to these individuals that aren't empowering me, that aren't seeing me as my best and brightest glowing, sparkliest, <laughs> exuberant joyful self. Uh, and why am I allowing that kind of cloud and cocoon to be around me? And that has meant like, I haven't, I I've been single for many years now at this point, And I've done a lot of self-work in that time to really get to know and understand right. myself in relationship to other people. And I'm really blessed and fortunate to have really great friendships and familial relationships where i get to practice setting those boundaries learning to ask for what i need trusting that people right. love me for me that i am genuinely lovable even without me having to martyr myself or earn something from them
0: wow yeah <laughs> and that that is like a lifetime of learning i feel like it can take especially if you're you've grown up thinking like love is something you need to earn right Yep. Yep. That is so profound. And I, I almost wonder, you know, here at Boss Up, we've always said work, love, and wellness are connected. And I forget how radical that is in the professional <laughs> development space, but it, it roots everything that we do, including at Boss Up Bootcamp. And I wonder as a boss, right, as a leader of a team with direct reports, How can you ensure that everyone feels truly included, you know, feels belonging, feels maybe you might even say loved and cared for, and at the very least create psychological safety? Like, what does it look like to walk that walk and really not just tweet, you know, fail fast for (laughs) the sake of creativity? Like Silicon Valley likes to put posters up that say fail fast, but like what vulnerability is required on the part of leaders to make that happen? I think you just hit the nail on the head with the word vulnerability
1: completely. I so firmly believe vulnerability begets vulnerability. And mm. if you don't see leadership walking that walk and talking that talk on a very genuine level. And I think one of the profound shifts that we've experienced societally with social media, with people sharing so much more freely with the world, is we we instinctually understand if somebody's being more or less genuine with us. Mm-hmm. And if that trust gets eroded, one of the things that I've been a concept that I've been playing with with for myself is uh, I tend to be a person a very direct person. I learned a lot of things about assertive communication from you, but I would much <laughs> I willing- love being direct. Yes. <laughs> I would much more appreciate let's call out whatever the pain point is, the friction point, the problem, let's speak to it. So then we can, we can find solutions together. And I actually think that that's genuine optimism. I, um, I think in Silicon Valley and tech, there's a lot of blind optimism to go back to that idea of like fake it till you make it, or we're just going to push it through. If anybody's familiar with, with Theranos and the Elizabeth Jesus, Holmes yeah. scandal that happened, which is like the uh, furthest end of the spectrum in terms of fake it till you make it. But it was very, it came from this unwillingness to say, I don't know yeah. something or I'm not sure how to fix it. And so I'm not even going to address it or have the conversation. And then if you were the people or or a person that was speaking up about, but but something's not feeling right, something's not working here, there's not workability in this situation, then you were, and I've, I've experienced this, labeled as combative mm-hmm. or aggressive or pushy or negative, or you're not a team player. Yeah and uh, i think that leadership if if i had the opportunity to do as much work as i do with job seekers with the powers that be at yeah. these companies that would be one of the first things that i would want to work on with them is candor how willing are you to just engage in what could potentially be an uncomfortable conversation but the only way we're going to get to a new possibility or generate or create something different that's going to make a positive impact is if we're willing to start with, this is going to be a little uncomfortable where we're going to talk about it. We're going to say what's up.
0: So. You're speaking my language, right? Like that is exactly what Bossed Up Bootcamp is designed to leave participants doing, having courage and having the skills to be, to present the executive presence, the assertive communication, the management style that is unafraid willing to risk it in order to venture into the unknown and lead our teams along the way. So I know you're still developing your curriculum for Boss Step Bootcamp and the work-life balance module that you'll be presenting in San Francisco on Sunday. Mm -hmm. But what are some of the takeaways or learnings or feelings that you want our participants to walk away from your session with? Just to give us a little preview. I think some of the the most
1: fundamental principles is that balancing act of holding others and those around you Mm. to account while balancing it with your own personal sense of ownership around the way you're living, the way you're communicating, the way you're doing your work. One of the most empowering things that we can do to get to that point is the self-awareness building, but also vocabulary establishment, having the language to do a process of self-inquiry, but then being able to assertively communicate, okay, now I understand for myself, this is where the breakdown is for me when it comes to what has triggered Mm -hmm. this experience of being burnt out or experience of not having balance or wellness across the board in my life. So now how do I self-advocate to request the support that I need To move forward or to make that change or to make that shift. I think when we talk about combating burnout or having work-life balance, a lot of times we go back to just the idea of, well, you need to do more self-care. You need to take better care (laughs) of yourself. (laughs) But what does that really mean? I did some training work at my company around combating burnout. We were in a really intense season in the fall. And one of the things that I know resonated the most with my colleagues was when we were talking about Rest, having it be, move beyond rest where it really is just either sleep or numbing out on the couch yeah. with Netflix, which sometimes both of those things are important. But thinking critically about what really refuels me. What are my needs when it comes to like actually putting something back in and not just like attempting to percolate back some kind of energy just because I'm dormant at this moment, right? Active self care.
0: Because when you're super busy and ambitious, the last thing you want to hear is someone saying, just take a break. I, I like almost snap when someone says that to me. When I was in high school, I recall, first of all, I was extremely perfectionistic, overachiever, but I would be doing homework till two o'clock in the morning most nights because there was just an, a godly amount. and I needed it all to be perfect. And I remember my parents getting mad at me for staying up so late and they'd like snap at me and say, get to bed, like, go take a break, relax. You don't need to be doing this so much. And I would be like, don't you understand? I pride myself on my work product here. You know, like when someone is in their busy season, telling them to just rest more is going to backfire. So I think amongst our super ambitious women leaders on the rise, especially the message has to be more nuanced than that. And so I think you're spot on in, in your experience with your colleagues. I'm so glad you mentioned all of that because I, I should have
1: mentioned previously when we we're talking about leadership or just something else I want to highlight is how critically important empathy, emotional intelligence, and act, like active yeah. listening is to helping somebody feel supported. I don't necessarily need you to "Quote unquote, fix right my burnout or fix the fact that I'm feeling overwhelmed, but I also don't need you just to put it on me. Of like you, well, you just need to take a couple of days off and come back, and you'll you'll be fine. I want you to." hear me and engage in the conversation and do and support me in that process of inquiry with empathy totally which is different than sympathy yeah because uh, I have experienced that that where you go to tell somebody oh I'm feeling really burnt out right now and the response is well I'm burnt out too
0: <laughs> right or oh honey don't worry you're pretty little head off about it right you know and you're like thanks. <laughs> I am so delighted that you'll be joining us and our bosses in San Francisco for Bossed Up Bootcamp this March 21 and 22. For those interested in learning more or joining us, you can head to bossedup.org slash bootcamp and find all the details you'll need. Download our detailed schedule. Learn more about Lacey in that detailed downloadable schedule. And... You can find all the resources you need to submit your request for sponsorship to your supervisor at work. Lacey, where can our ladies and listeners keep up with you in the meantime?
1: Absolutely. Instagram and LinkedIn are the places that I tend to spend the most time. So folks can find me on Instagram at Lacey Jewel Cope. That's Jewel with two L's, J-E-W-E-L-L. And on LinkedIn, I'm under the same, Lacey Jewel Cope as well.
0: Well, I will drop links to those two profiles in today's show notes. I'm so excited to see you soon. Me too. Thanks so much for sharing your time and talents with our bosses today. Thank
1: you, Emily. I feel like you were such a big influence in even setting me on this path. I'm so grateful. I can't wait to get back to the Boss Up community and see everybody at boot camp.
0: If you want to learn more about Lacey and get connected on social media, head to bossedup.org slash episode 208 or find Lacey's links to LinkedIn and Instagram in today's podcast show notes. And now it's time for this week's boss move of the week. Today's boss move comes in from Fran in the Boss Up Courage community who had this to share. I just did a phone interview for a company that I'm interested in, but the position ended up not being the right fit. It was such a great conversation and we decided to keep in touch should something else come up in the future. I'm usually horrible in interviews, so I'm very proud of myself. Good for you, Fran. You should be proud of yourself, boss. It takes a lot of courage, confidence, and a strong foundation of self-worth to recognize, even partly through an interview, when a job opportunity is not for you. Not only is it respectful of the interviewer's time, but it totally translates into a boss move because they see you as someone who is mindful about your career choices, who is thoughtful and conscientious about not wasting anybody's time. So congratulations for acknowledging that you deserve more and for being willing and able to hold out for something better. It takes courage to do that. And you're setting yourself up to make this next job your best possible opportunity. Congratulations. All right, bosses, that's all I have for you today. I want to hear your thoughts. Have you struggled to prioritize work-life balance as you've chased your career ambitions, as you've hustled hard, as you've navigated your way into management or leadership, or as you plot your course for doing so? Weigh in via the comments section below today's corresponding post at bossedup.org episode 208 or ping me on social media at emily Aries or at bossedup.org. I can't wait to see some of y'all later this month at Bossed Bootcamp. If you have any questions or there's anything I could do to help you get there, don't hesitate to email me at emily at bossedup.org. Head to bossedup.org slash bootcamp for all the details. Download our pre-written template to help you propose this program to your place of work, including a bootcamp brief that can help make a really compelling case as to what the return on an investment is for investing in women's leadership development. I can't wait to see you and Lacey and a bunch of our talented trainers in the Bay Area very soon. In the meantime, keep Boston in pursuit of your purpose and together we'll lift as we climb.